So I grew up in a, a home where my dad was an optometrist, and my grandpa Collins was an optometrist. So uh, they grew up in it was kind of an older, different time than it is today. That there were expectations of the family that uh, that the oldest son would take on the profession of the his father, and so my dad was kind of locked into being an optometrist. Don't know if he really wanted to be one, but he ended up being an optometrist. Um, and interestingly enough, I spent uh, a little bit of time in his office. He had a private practice. And uh, interestingly enough, I struggled with eye issues because I had a lazy eye when I was born. So I'm actually blind out of this eye. See, right now I don't even know that you're here because I can't even see you. Now I can. So, you know, it's like you're gone. Now I can see you. You're gone. You know, it's that whole thing. But here's the problem I'm having you know, over the last probably five to ten years, is I need these for my good eye, okay? These are my cheaters. Some of you have your cheaters with you, don't you? Uh, at both campuses, you, you, when I said pull out your, your Bible or, you know, get your PDA out or, uh, you know, op- get your phone or, or you're online and you're looking on your computer screen and you, you have to get your glasses. You have to put your glasses on so you can see this small type, right? And that's part of getting old. Unfortunately, little by little, uh, I'm, being, I'm making the print a little bigger on my notes, and I'm finding the print of the Bible's getting smaller, even though it's not, and I don't like it. And I leave these, these cheaters in strategic places around the house so that I can't, when I can't find it, I have one that I can grab, you know, quickly. And it's 2.0, and I'm hoping I don't go to 2.5 very soon, but that's more information you need to know about me. But many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you struggle with the same thing. Well, we're going to talk about a different kind of blindness this weekend, a different kind of blindness that we all suffer from. Not just some of us, but every one of us suffer from, and it's called spiritual blindness. And really, we're going we're gonna to kind of start talking about it this weekend, and then we're going to talk about its cure next weekend. Because I want to kind of uh, take it as, the, as we get it in the passage. And we're going to talk about how Jesus is addressing spiritual blindness. And it has incredible implications. Not just for us, but for the f- people around us that we care for and love. So if you would, would you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And I'm going to read like the first 21 verses. And I know it sounds like a lot, but hang in there with me. Um, I'll try to do a good job of reading. And before you know it, we'll get through it. Uh, But just try to engage yourself as we read through it. Try to put yourself uh, in the story and as a a person in the story and interact with some of what's going on there. Let me start reading in chapter 8 verse, this is Mark 8 verse 1. In those days when once again a large crowd had gathered and not having anything to eat, Jesus called his his disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have stayed with me three days already and they do not have anything to eat. If I send them to their homes without food, they will faint from exhaustion on the way and some of them have come from 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 a distance. And his disciples answered him, from what source can anyone feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. So he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. 
taking the seven loaves and giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. So they distributed the bread to the crowd. They also had a few small fish. Blessing these, Jesus told them to distribute these as well. And they ate and were filled. And they picked up seven baskets of leftover pieces. There were about 4,000 present, and he sent them on their way. Now we want to go to the next part because this is where we get into the whole uh, discussion of spiritual blindness. And immediately he got into a boat with his disciples and he went to the district of Dalametha. Uh, The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, why does this generation seek a sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got into a boat again, and crossed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take along loaves of bread, except for one loaf that they had, they had with them in the boat. And Jesus began to admonish them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they kept discussing Uh, with one another the fact that they had no bread jesus aware of this said to them why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not perceive or understand do you not do your your do you have hardened hearts having eyes do you not see having ears do you not hear and and do you not remember when i broke the five loaves for the five thousand and how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up and they answered twelve And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, do not, do you not yet understand? So there's four important lessons that we want to draw from this passage. So let's just kind of walk through them one by one. And they should be in your notes and you can uh, find your notes, whether you have it in your hands or if you're watching online. You can uh, look at that. We have that online. Here's the first lesson that we learned. The gospel is for all people. It's for all nations. Now, uh, you say, well, where do you get that? Well, one of the questions we face is, uh, the questions we face is, why the second feeding account? We've, We've already through, now remember, and just kind of reviewing Mark and how he's writing, we, we need to think of the gospels not as historical literature, because that's not the way we understand historical literature. They're writing this with a theological purpose. So they're taking historical events, and they may move them around. They may be out of order. But Mark is putting them in an order because he's trying to show us something. He's trying to show us who Jesus is, and he's trying to show us in this passage how the disciples are doing. Are they getting it? Are they understanding who he is and what his message is? That's essentially what's going on. So he puts these two stories, the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding that, uh, that we've just uh, read here, the feeding of the 4,000. And it seems as though he's put these together. So why the second feeding account? Now, many scholars have answered this and said, well, the problem is that we've read these as two separate stories, but they're not two separate stories. They're just the same story told differently. So in other words, many, because, you know, these, these stories are told in... in um, all the Gospels have the story of the feeding. And so many scholars have approached the Gospels and said, Jesus didn't do this twice. He only did this once. So these are just different accounts. The only problem with that view, and you saw it in the passage we just read, 
that Jesus basically says in the passage we just read, he points them out as though they're two different stories, doesn't he? He says, how many, did, how many baskets did you get when you, we fed the 5,000? He says, 12. How many did you get you know, when we fed the 4,000? So Jesus is treating them as two separate stories, not as the same story told in a different way. So that's not a good solution. A better solution, though, and what Mark wanted his readers to know, and this is kind of hard to pick out, but if you follow the context, you'll see it. He is healed, you know, we last couple weeks, we've looked at who, where he is. He's in Gentile territory. And who is he healing? Gentiles. We've talked about that. I talked about that last weekend. Who's he feeding this weekend? He's feeding Gentiles. Not Jewish people, he's feeding Gentiles. So the, he, Mark wants his readers to know that the gospel is meant for all people groups, all nations. And this, this account of feeding, unlike the first where Jesus was feeding the mainly Jewish crowd, now he's feeding Gentiles. And so Jesus, Mark is trying to show us that Jesus isn't just come, yes, he has come for his people, to save his people, but he's also going to save another, the, all the other nations, all the other Gentiles. That's good for you and me, I think, because I think most of us here are Gentiles. And so that's good news for us. Mark is showing us, though, this, through this part of the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior of the whole world, not just the nation of Israel. It's really important for us to understand it. Now, we don't limit today the gospel to people groups, I don't think. I hope not. But the, the application for us is the gospel is for everyone. Let's not limit it. How we tend to limit the gospel today is like this. We say, I, or we say to it about another person, they're too far gone for the gospel. There's no hope for them. So we say, there's no hope for them. They're too far gone. They could never, never be saved, right? We say that. Or the other opposite extreme is, I don't need a gospel. I'm too good for the gospel. I, I got all my ducks in a row. I'm living a good life. I feel like I'm acceptable to God. If I were to die today, God would say, get into heaven. You deserve to be here. Look at all you've done. And so those are the two opposite extremes that we see. They're very common in our culture today to write people off or to say, oh, John, Bob, Mary, Sue, they're in because look at how good they are. We hear it all the time. Don't you hear it all the time? How many funerals have you been to in the last few years where somebody gets up and says, I just want to tell you how good of a person they are. And sometimes what they're saying is, if this person doesn't make it to heaven because they're so good, then no one will. Well, it's a good argument. There's a second reason, though, why Mark introduces the second account here. I think he wants to give a progress report on the training of the 12. So part of the reason is that Mark wants to... And, Many people call Mark the gospel to the Gentiles. Matthew is the gospel to the Jews. Mark is the gospel to the Gentiles. And it's passages like this that make them feel that way. But here's the second reason. So, so the first reason is uh, Mark gives these two feeding accounts because he wants everyone to understand the gospel is open to all people, all nations. Secondly, he wants us to see the progress that his disciples are making. Jesus spent around three and a half years with his disciples. And little by little by little, they're going to start to get it. We're going to see that more next weekend. We're going to get into a passage, and John's going to, it's very interesting what John's going to do. Next week, he's going to heal a man. 
And through the healing of the man, Mark's going to show us the disciples are starting to get it. And we're going to see that next weekend. So you can come back for that. But let me just say this. What, what Mark is doing here is he's showing that his disciples really aren't getting it. They're not tracking with Jesus about who he is and why he's come, what his mission is. So that's the first lesson, all right? Here's the second lesson we can draw from the passage. We all suffer some sort of spiritual blindness. Not a one person in this room, at either campus, online, wherever, in the world today, that if you're honest, you suffer spiritual blindness of some sort. Now, we can see it in the Pharisees, and that's the story where, where Jesus warns of the leaven of the Pharisees. Uh, they refused to see, and they kept saying to Jesus, you know, Jesus, just give us a sign, show us, you know, do something that's just so spectacular that all our doubts are gone, and we'll just have to believe. And, and basically, Jesus says, no, I'm not going to give you any signs. I'm not going to give you any more signs. You know, there's this uh, kind of a parable that Jesus tells and about Lazarus and the rich man, and they both die, and uh, you could read about it. I don't have time to go into it. But at one point, the rich man basically is, is kind of in hell, essentially, is where it comes from. And he basically says, send Lazarus to warn my family. He says, I don't want my family to have to suffer like I am. And, and Jesus says to him, if I raise the dead and send the dead, they still won't believe. In other words, the greatest sign I could ever send, and they won't believe. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is there wasn't a miracle that he could perform that was big enough and good enough and substantial enough that the, the, the Pharisees would believe. Essentially that's what he's saying, because they have hard hearts. Now what they would do and what they did, you see it all the time, because Jesus, one point at one point Jesus is, is uh, casting out demons and he says, well, it's, you know, they say, well, it's the power of Satan that you're using. It's the devil. And, G and Jesus goes, does Satan cast out Satan? I mean, why would you destroy your own forces? That's the, the Jesus' argument. And so the, the Pharisees could explain it away and say, well, it was satanic power or magic or trickery. And so they asked, what is it that you could do that could really convince us? And, and they almost ask, act as though we're just really waiting for that one sign. We really want to, we're sincere here. We're really just wanting to have that one sign. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to bother with it. They were blind to the evidences because they had their own preconceived notions about the Messiah and Jesus didn't fit. Now it also seems hard to believe that the disciples, after watching all the miracles, I mean, he's casting out demons, he's raising a little girl from the dead, he's feeding people left and right. I mean, and they're, they're not just getting a bite, they're just walking away filled. I mean, it's, and they have leftovers. I mean, you know, who doesn't love leftovers, right? And so he has all these leftovers. Um, but it's amazing to me that they did not realize that these miraculous powers, you know, demonstrating Jesus would not be enough for them to get it. And here's the point. Our passage reveals the problem with the Pharisees and with the Twelve and with us. And this is where the rubber meets the road for us. There is a universal spiritual blindness we all share from birth. Spiritual blindness is a common condition of the human heart. 
Now, this is where this is going to hopefully come down to where you live, and it'll maybe some, some things will fall into place. Oh, okay, now that makes sense to me. This is why you're never going to, some of us have friends or neighbors or family members that we've been trying to share the gospel with. They understand what we're saying. They understand that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried and he rose again. The third. They get that. They, it's not like that doesn't make sense to them. They just don't believe it. And, and we, can, we can create arguments. We can, and by arguments, understand what I mean. Not like be argumentative, but bring strong cases for why it's okay to believe. You know, that you don't have to check your brain at the door. So, so we can do that. But some people, some Christians believe, if I can just come up with the strongest argument, all of a sudden they'll go, oh, well, duh, of course I'm going to believe in Jesus. Now you've convinced me. Because you brought such a strong argument. And see, I'm not saying that we can't, we, it, there's no place for having logical, thoughtful arguments. Here's the point, though. You can bring the best argument in the world, and Jesus says, but if you're spiritually blind, it's just not going to work. Because unless Jesus changes a person's heart, Nothing changes. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, so this is why you've shared the gospel with friends and neighbors. You've shared arguments. You've said, I found bread here. He's Jesus, and maybe you want bread. I see, you know, a, uh, you know the same things you are looking for in your life, I found in Jesus. And you try to lead them to the bread. You try to lead them to the water, but you can't make them drink. You can't make them eat. You wonder why. You bring thoughtful, logical arguments, and they still just don't get it. And you go, what have I got to do here? The answer is they're spiritually blind. Now you say, because you, know, you understand in your life, there was a day where, where God just like opened your eyes and you, all of a sudden you saw, you got it. It made sense to you. You go, oh, now I get it. <laughs> Why couldn't I see that before? I've had people in multiple studies, Bible studies over the years, and they said, I'm so mad. I'm so angry with my pastor, my priest, whatever, because they never showed me this. And I go, yeah, they probably did but you were spiritually blind. Now you see it, and it's clear as day. It's like when you can't see, and all of a sudden you put a pair of glasses on, you go, oh, look at what I was missing. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. Now here's the, here's the other part of it. You say, well, now that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and he's opened my eyes, I now no longer have spiritual blindness. Blindness. Oh, yeah, you do. That's the problem. You don't just, like, all of a sudden, Jesus, like, you, you become a follower of Jesus, and now all of a sudden your spiritual sight is completely restored. It doesn't work that way. And, and here's what I mean by that, because sometimes you think that. You, do you ever doubt? I have found that there are time, time and time again, I doubt. Time and time again, I, 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 when I'm thrown into new situa situations, I panic, I, sh I show signs of anxiety, I show signs of fear. And where does that come from? Spiritual blindness. I, I don't remember the bread. I don't remember the 5,000. I don't remember the 4,000. I don't remember his provision in my life. All of a sudden, I have this new situation, and, and I have, am I going to trust Jesus this time? 
I have this spiritual blindness. You see, we often panic and, and, and fail to remember that how he has been there for us, helping us. We, we, why do we continually struggle with worry and anxiety? Because our spiritual memories are extremely short, that we forget the goodness and mercy of God. That's spiritual sight. That's insight. So spiritual blindness affects the whole human race, even Christians. There's not going to be a day where you're not going to have some sort of a spiritual blindness. And we'll, we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Here's the third point we want to draw from the lesson. Third lesson we want to draw. Spiritual blindness can be easily caught. It, it's like a cold. You can catch it. In our passage, Jesus warns his disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod. What does that mean? Now, I'm not a cook. I'm not a baker. Um, but I do know how leaven works. So leaven, you put the, the yeast in the dough, and you mix it all up, and it's a certain temperature, and then you put it somewhere to rise to, to just basically, and you cover it. And sometimes you do it, you know, Carol will make some bread. She'll put it in a, a pan. She'll cover it and put it there overnight, and it's just a little thing. And then the next morning, it's like, it just blew up. You don't see it working. It's, it's, it's an unseen process. And as the leaven spreads, it affects every part of the dough. And that's kind of how it works. So Jesus is saying that, that the yeast represents how a person can be influenced by, in, a, in a very real sense. And Jesus was saying that the spiritual blindness can be caught. That he was warning his disciples to be careful and exam, continually examine their beliefs because your beliefs are always being influenced by this world. And so he's saying to his, to his disciples, the Pharisees and Herod have a way of, of influencing you, and you need to be careful about it. Um, the Pharisees posed as being neutral and open-minded, but they weren't. They were absolutely against Jesus. Now, I know there were some Pharisees, Nicodemus being one, who was a true seeker. But the majority of the Pharisees were blind and not in any way looking. So in a similar way, we can be influenced by the unbelief of our culture. Um, and you'll notice it's not generally, you, you wake up one day and all of a sudden you have this like blindness. It, it's a little by little erosion that we see. It's kind of like, like you're cheaters. You started at 1.0, then you went to 1.5, now you're at 2. Some of you are at 3. Sorry about that. Uh, but, but that's kind of the way it works, right? It, it's a little by little influence that the society, the culture has on you. And the Apostle Paul warns us about this. He says this, and I'm going to read the first part, then I'll give you the second part. It'll be up on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable act of service. And then notice what he says next. Do not be conformed, or you could say influenced, by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. In other words, what Paul is saying is the world can have an impact on you. It can cause spiritual blindness in your life. In fact, if you read the, the Greek there, it, it says stop being conformed to the world. It's not that you might or might not be. It's like this. It's like you, you when you stop being critical and thoughtful and 
looking to see if you've, your sight is okay. When you stop the process, you drift. You don't, the current is going against you, in other words. And so the world's current is very strong. And we need to be tethered, especially today, to the truth of God's word as our final authority. Here's what I see today. Maybe you see it too. Maybe you see it in your life. Don't worry about other people like you say, oh, yes, I see it there, I see it there, I see it. No, we're, this is where you need to look. Here's what I see. I see the pull of our culture pulling us away from the truth of God's word. And basically, we become the final authority. And when we become the final authority, we're in big trouble. When you become the final authority for your life, you're in big trouble. And what I, what I mean by that is only God's word can show you who you really are. Only God's word can show you what you really don't want to see. Only God's word can, uh, can tell you what you don't want to hear. And only God's word can call you to repent. So my question is, how are you allowing God's word to speak into your life on a regular basis? Because if you're not, then my question is, have you, have you, has this happened to you where you've been going through the word of God and you read something and you go, I don't like that. I don't like that because I know what it's saying about me. It's talking about my tongue and how I need to control it. And I don't like that because I just kind of like let my, well, let my tongue do whatever it wants. Or you read a passage that's talking about your money. Because I don't like those passages about my money. I don't like the Bible speaking about money. I don't like that Jesus spoke so much about money. Because that means I have to think about, what am I doing with my money? Right? You can't have your neighbor or your, your, your family come. And, but can you allow the Word of God come and speak to you in areas of your life that you don't really want to see? James calls it some mirror. The Word of God will show you your heart, show your soul. It'll show your spiritual blindness. It'll show your blind spots, things that you don't want to see. How often are you allowing the Word? And are you willing to, when the Word of God confronts you in an area that you don't want to be confronted in, to change? That's the question, folks. God's Word brings sight to the spiritually blind. And if you're not looking into God's Word then you're not checking your spiritual sight. You're allowing blind spots to form in your life. Little by little, if you're taking God's word seriously, and it is your final authority, you ought to be allowing it to dig deeper and deeper and deeper into your life and challenging you with harder and harder things that you have to change because we're all spiritually blind to some extent. Number four is this. Spiritual blindness can only be cured by divine intervention. Spiritual blindness can only be cured by divine intervention. Um, the pursuit of Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise. And this is where I was talking about earlier is you'll never argue somebody into heaven. Now, listen, there are people who come at Scripture, at the Word of God, with, in, with valid intellectual arguments and questions. And you have to answer those. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But there is a point where you have to realize that no intellectual argument will ever cause somebody 
to have faith in Jesus. There is a spiritual dimension that the intellectual argument will not deal with. They are, inter, they are interconnected, but they are separate. Jesus didn't pick the 12 most stupid men in the world to follow him. They were a random sample of humanity. So when you look at the disciples and you say, well, they're a bunch of idiots. Why don't they get this? Because if you were there, you would be doing the same thing. That, that's the problem. You know, we can look at other people and say, boy, they're idiots. <laughs> and they're looking at us and saying, yeah, you're the idiot, not me, right? And, and that's really kind of what it comes down to. Uh, Paul says something very strategic and very incredible. And, and you don't have this, but write this verse down. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Their spiritual confusion, the confusion of the disciple tells us something really incredible. Jesus says this, no one can say, this is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul is saying that unless Jesus turns your heart, you'll never see him. You'll never get him. You'll never understand him. It is only through the turning of the Holy Spirit that you get it. In other words, there's a spiritual dimension. You can only lead somebody so far in an intellectual argument. There has to be a point where they understand that faith is a spiritual step. And unless your heart is willing to take a step of faith, you won't have it. It's kind of like this. Do you remember those uh, paintings? I think they were from, somebody told me, one of the staff people said they were from the 80s, the magic eye. Remember those, the painting, the magic eye? They were like these paintings. They had these designs, and everybody would look at them, and you were supposed to see something else, like a man walking a dog or, e, you know, E.T. or something like that in the painting, right? So you put it on the wall, and you look. Some of you are going, yeah, I get that. Some of you go, what are you talking about? Look it up. It's on the interweb. Yeah. Uh, but, but they had these paintings. You look at them, and you would see the image within the, within the painting, right? If you looked at it right. I never yet saw one of those. Not once. And I kind of believe that some of the people looking at them didn't see them either. Oh, yeah, now I see it. <laughs> then somebody who really did see it say, it's a dog. Oh, yeah, there's the dog. There's the foot. No, that's his, the guy's leg. Oh, yeah, it's like, I thought, you know, but there was, there was like the image within the image. Here's the thing. Your family members, your kids, your spouse, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, they see the painting but they don't see the painting in the painting, the picture in the painting. They don't see it. They don't see it. And what, what, what we're learning, what Jesus is saying to us this weekend is this. Unless I give you eyes to see and a heart to hear, until I turn your heart, until you can see, you'll never see the image within the image. That's why all your friends look at the painting and go, yeah, Jesus is a cool dude. You go, no, no, not just a cool dude. He's Lord. He's the only way. No, no, I don't see that. Just a cool picture. 
That's the problem. They don't see it. And then all of a sudden, God opens your eyes and you see the picture for the first time. You go, oh, there it is. And you look at another, oh, there it is. And all of a sudden, you're seeing things you didn't see before. And you say, how do I get, do, is there a special pair of glasses I could put on their faces and they'll see it? And the answer is no, there isn't. Well, you say, well, what do you do? I've tried to witness. I've tried to share my faith. I've tried to get them to see. They don't see. They don't get it. They don't understand. They think I'm drinking too much Jesus juice and I'm kind of whacked out. And I go to church a lot and I talk about Jesus and I don't swear and I don't, you know, I don't get hammered all the time and my relationships are different. And they don't really get me anymore. And I just can't. I don't know how to explain it to them. You can't. You can't get them to see what they can't see. And that's kind of what Jesus is saying. So I always tell people, so what do you do in a situation like that? You pray that God would open their eyes. You pray that God would change their hearts. You pray that God would help them to see because they can't. See, we're born spiritually blind, and unless Jesus opens our eyes, we will never see. But when we finally see, we need to understand that we still struggle with blind spots. We all have blind spots. And it's going to be a lifelong struggle with the, stigma, the stigmas of life, uh, blind spots. So spiritual blindness by the way, has been around since the beginning of time, really, beginning of man. And I, I was thinking of uh, an example of this, and this is kind of an interesting parallel. I want to close with this. So you remember when God spoke to Moses at the burning bush, and he said, I want you to go down and tell Pharaoh, let my people go, right? So what's going on in the passage we're looking at, Jesus is bringing these signs to the, the Pharisees. And basically, they just, it doesn't matter what he does. He raises the dead, he feeds people, he casts out demons, it doesn't matter. They want more signs, bigger signs, they just they try to you know, explain them away. And he says, all right, I'm done giving signs. So what happens with Moses? Moses is selected by God to go down and to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. So the people of Israel are slaves in Egypt. And so Moses is going to be the leader that's going to bring them out of the slavery of Egypt, right? and into the promised land. That's, that's the goal. That's the plan. So what does Moses do to try to convince Pharaoh that God has sent him? Well, there's these things called plagues, right? There's frogs, there's locusts, there's blood, you know, rivers turn blood. There's all these different plagues going on. And Pharaoh, just little by little, he says, oh, okay, you can leave. And then he says, no, I'm not going to let you go. And then finally he does, you know, finally. So they finally leave. The last plague is the death of the firstborn. Right? But essentially, and even then, Pharaoh came chasing after the people of Israel, you know, as they were leaving Egypt. You know, I was thinking about that. There's such a parallel to Jesus because Jesus is the final Moses, right? Jesus is the one, but he didn't come to set people free from Egypt. He came to set people free from sin and death, right? And uh, Jesus performed many miracles. Many miracles, but the Pharisees just... It, they came to a place where they said, you know, eh, it's not good enough. I don't, I, I'm just not going to believe. 
Um, uh, you could perform as many miracles as you want, but I, I, just, I just don't believe. So Moses came to Egypt to set the people free from the Egyptian captivity. Jesus came to earth to set us free from sin and death. Moses risked his life to save the people. Jesus gave his life to save us from our sins. And there's a bunch of people around you that you love and care for that know that in their head, but they haven't got it in their heart yet. And we need to pray that God would open their hearts and they would understand that. Because right now they're trying to live a good enough life to be acceptable and they believe that God is loving enough that he should let the good people in heaven, whoever that is and whatever that looks like, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we don't like that. We don't like that. But that's kind of what Jesus says. So, where are you at this weekend? Do you understand why all your efforts to try to help people know Jesus, that there's a step that you can't take for them, that until God turns their heart, they're not going to get it? But pray, pray, pray that God would turn their hearts because if God turns their heart, everything will change. That doesn't mean you don't bring good arguments, you don't bring a logical, thoughtful gospel presentation to them, but you understand that that only goes so far, that there's a spiritual dimension, there's a step where you have to take a step of faith. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, do you understand that you will drift into spiritual blindness when you get away from the Word of God. There are a lot of Christians out there and they're, drift, they're so adrift in spiritual blindness because they've gotten away from God's Word. And that's why we have to be in God's Word regularly on a daily basis and say, God, speak to me. Show me the things I don't want to see. Tell me the things I don't want to hear. Um, give me a vision of who I am and what you see and how I need to change and then be willing to obey what he shows you. We're going to talk more about spiritual blindness. How do, we, how do we manage that? And how do we get to a place where we uh, are able to get a, a handle on the spiritual blindness that we all carry with us? We all have spiritual stigmatisms, blind spots that we don't see. We're going to talk more about that next weekend. But right now, I just want to pray with you as we close. So, Father, as we close, we thank you that you have given us spiritual sight. I pray for someone, maybe uh, a few people, I don't know, that maybe for the first time they realize they're lost and they're helpless and hopeless and Jesus is the only hope that they have. They might pray a prayer like this, Dear Jesus, I realize that without you I have no hope that I am spiritually blind, that, that I, am, uh, I have sinned, and that only as Jesus takes my punishment, my sin, my wrath, only as he becomes my Savior am I forgiven and find hope in life. And as he gave his life to me, I give my life to him right now and ask him to come into my life as my Savior. And Father, if they pray that prayer, I pray they'd let somebody know that they they ask Jesus to come into their life. For the rest of us, Father, that are here that 
may have prayed that prayer recently or maybe a long time ago, help us to understand that we do drift. We move away from your truth. And the world has a powerful influence on our spiritual sight. It clouds up our spiritual glasses. It causes spiritual stigma in our sight. Help us to understand that and to be uh, always allowing your word to dig deeply into our heart so that we can see more clearly and help us to uh, uh, obey what you show us and what you, uh, how you direct us. And Father, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.